scripture lesson for this morning is from Genesis, the 25th chapter, verses 19 through 28. Listen for the word of God. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If this is to be the way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we live in the meanwhile, that interval between the dawning of the new order of life and the period in which the temporary and the material has not yet been transformed into the spiritual. The words I speak in this sermon are part of that meanwhile. May they nonetheless be acceptable to you, and may they be edifying for your people as they seek to point us to the new order of life to come. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Either I wasn't much exposed to them or most of them didn't register with me, but I have little memory of nursery rhymes. Whenever they come up in a family gathering, a blank look comes over my face as if the discussion has moved to nuclear physics. But family members know to sort of cue me in on the context and fill me in on the literary reference just so I'm not completely left out of the conversation. Having admitted this deficiency, I do, however, remember Jack and Jill. Though I had to Google it to get all the words to it today. (laughs) Join in with me if you'd like. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. Up Jack got... Yeah, the second verse is always the hardest on any (laughs) hymn. Up Jack got and home did trot as fast as he could caper. Went to bed to mend his head with vinegar and brown paper. That's the line I remember. If we stop and think about it, which, you know, we probably shouldn't do, but but if we do, this is a cheery rhyme 
about a dreary subject. Two children on a free-range mission together fall down. One is injured. The condition of the other is unknown. The poet Stephen Dunn has a haunting follow-up to this nursery rhyme called After. Jack and Jill at home together after their fall. The bucket spilled, her knees badly scraped, and Jack with not even an aspirin for what's broken. We can see the arduous evenings ahead for them and the need now to pay a boy to fetch the water. Our mistake was trying to do something together, Jill sighs. But Jack says, if you'd let go for once, you wouldn't have come tumbling after. He's in a wheelchair, but she's still an item. For the rest of their existence, confined to a little rhyming story. Dunn then cogitates on the appeal of this story. We tell it to our children who laugh because they're already accustomed to disaster. We'd like to teach them the secrets of knowing how to go too far. But Jack is banging with his soup spoon. Jill is pulling out her hair. Out of decency, we turn away as if it were possible to escape the drift of our lives, the fundamental business of making do with what's been left us. Making do with what's been left us is an apt description of much of the book of Genesis on which we are spending sermon time this summer. As you've heard me say before, after the beauty of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 comes Genesis 3, the fall of the human race, in which the woman and man exceed the bounds that God has set for them as they eat the fruit of the tree from which God has forbidden them to eat. The narrator depicts their reasons as both noble and certainly as understandable. The tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes, and to be desired to make one wise. Yet though their motives are good, Adam and Eve reveal a human tendency to seek to exceed the limits that God has set in creation for us. What Dunn calls the secrets of knowing how to go too far. Jack and Jill seek to climb a hill for which they're not quite ready. Adam and Eve seek knowledge beyond their purview. As a result of such human overreach, history itself is marked by the aftermath of the fall, which unfolds in the next few chapters following the creation story. The fracture between humanity and nature. Tension between male and female, difficulty in work and in childbearing, division 
of labor. Differences in language. Differences in religion. These latter differences come to the fore for us when we realize that the first murder, a fratricide, domestic violence, occurs when Cain kills Abel in front of the altar in an argument over whose offering to God, an act of worship, is superior. After God chooses Abel's offering without specifying a reason. Among the most pronounced divisions which unfold in Genesis is that between siblings. In addition to Cain versus Abel, Abel, there is Isaac versus Ishmael, Jacob versus Esau, and Joseph versus his brothers. One of the deepest expressions of this sibling rivalry comes in our story for today. The narrator introduces us to Jacob and Esau, saying the children struggled together within their mother Rebekah's womb. Next, God addresses Rebekah. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. It's a great sermon for a service in which we have the baptism of a second child, right? That's the breaks, that's the breaks. The narrator then describes the actual birth. The first came out red, his body all like a hairy mantle. And afterward his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. Then later the narrator says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. And perhaps most importantly, the narrator concludes this introduction to these two brothers by saying, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Rooted in the fall of Adam and Eve and traced back through Cain and Abel, the prenatal conflict between Jacob and Esau plays out throughout the 11 chapters in which they appear in the middle of the book of Genesis with precious few instances of peace between them. Jack banging his soup spoon, Jill pulling out her hair. But rather than out of decency turning away, Might we leave our Bibles open just a little bit longer? Might we read their story and see if even in our text today, which introduces their warring saga, there might be something we can find that expresses hope. If not for ultimate reconciliation between these two, at least perhaps for a containment of difference a containment of conflict. Is there a word of hope in this story? Or like Jack and Jill, Jacob and Esau, are we trapped forever in the downward spiral of the fall? There are two human actions in this story 
that point in the direction of hope. One of them is patience. Every character in this story expresses a willingness and an ability to wait. We saw last week in chapter 24 that Isaac waits for 40 years until his father's servant finds Rebekah. And she slides off the camel and wraps herself in her veil, joins him in marriage in the tent of his late mother Sarah. After the trauma of his near sacrifice at the hands and knife of his father Abraham, and after the subsequent death of his mother, Isaac waits and waits and waits, and eventually Rebecca emerges. Isaac waits. Once they are married, Isaac and Rebecca wait 20 years, 20 years to conceive a child. Isaac and Rebecca wait. In chapters 29 and 30, which are upcoming, one of their sons, Jacob, works seven years to marry Rachel, the cousin he believes he is to marry, only to find that her father Laban has slid into the wedding bed at the last minute, her older sister Leah. Jacob then works seven more years to marry Rachel, and then he works for six more years before he is freed from working under Laban, 20 years Total. Jacob waits. And then ahead in chapters 32 and 33, it is Esau as an adult who waits 20 years for Jacob to come to him and seek to reconcile after Jacob has stolen both his birthright and his blessing. And it is the same 20 years that it takes Jacob to muster the courage and the faith and the grace and the humility to seek such reconciliation. Jacob and Esau wait. It is said that time heals all wounds, but in and of itself, time doesn't. But time offers us the opportunity to grow, to change, to gain perspective, to become wiser. And all of these are elements that can help us find peace and reconciliation. Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau all wait, all have patience. It is the first narrative, the first element in this narrative that points to reconciliation and peace. A second element in this story is prayer. As you know, there are many types of prayer throughout the Scriptures. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. I experienced that prayer so many Sundays, standing at this door, greeting you all to come in, seeing your excitement. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Not my will, but thine be done. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. There are all kinds of prayers throughout the Scripture. One prayer in our text comes from Isaac. The narrator says Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Twenty years of infertility. Twenty years. And Isaac is still praying. And then the narrator says the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca conceived. Not all prayers are answered directly, even after two decades. But some prayers are. Isaac's prayer was answered in the way, though not likely on the timetable that he wanted. But it was answered. Sometimes, sometimes, it does happen that way. A second prayer in our text comes from Rebecca after she conceives. When the children are struggling together within her, Rebecca vocalizes to herself, if not to others, she at least brings to her lips these words, if it is to be this way, why do I live? Having brought to words the most profound anguish she experiences, she experiences, Rebecca then goes to inquire of the Lord. We can imagine that she joins Elijah and Jeremiah and Job and Jonah in cursing the day she was born. If it is to be this way, why do I live? I've said how much I receive joy and energy from standing out there at the beginning of the service. I didn't put this in the text, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. One of the most profound prayers, I think, it was a prayer that I've ever heard, was one day in the midst of all the greeting out here, a member came through, my new-to-be suffering, one of the most painful losses any human being can go through. And I looked at this member and I said, how are you? And this member came up to me and looked me in the eye and said, it is a bad deal. And there was a word used in the middle that I cannot repeat. Now, I'm not a priest, but I am, all of us are serving in a priestly function. And there's some sense in which if you say something like that to one of us, 
There is a sense in which you're saying it to someone who represents God. And so in a sense, it is a prayer. And this person expressed the most honest and anguished prayer that I have ever heard expressed. And it was frankly refreshing. If it is to be this way, Lord, why am I to live? Now, Rebecca receives an answer that is an explanation of her circumstances, but no promise of change within them. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. This is not the answer for which Rebecca had hoped. But somehow, 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 this experience appears sufficient to give her the strength to carry forward. She gives birth to her two sons. She is involved in their tumultuous life until she dies which Jewish Midrash calculates to be at either 120 or 134 years. So prayer, even when it's anguished and angry, can be a step forward towards peace, towards reconciliation, towards resolution. It was for Isaac. It was for Rebecca. So this story of prenatal conflict rooted in family history, rooted in the fall of the human race, in this story, it is patience and prayer that point the way. Patience and prayer. Up Jack got and home did trot as fast as he could caper, went to bed and bowed his head. Waited, waited, waited for vinegar and brown paper. Amen.